Hi there, come up on the porch. We're just sitting here watching it rain and talking about Louisiana. I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. And this is the Louisiana Anthology Podcast, episode 512, for March 11th, 2023. Welcome back. Tonight, today we talk, uh, finish our conversation with Danielle Romero about her uh, research finding Lola, um, and uh, she has this documentary. Really, it's kind of really cool, Stephen. It's a, it's an ongoing documentary. Every few weeks, uh, she releases a new uh, video on her YouTube uh, channel, and perhaps at the end of all this, she might put together like a ninety-minute or two-hour. Uh, uh, you know, version of it, but right now you can kind of watch her uh, discoveries as she's discovering, which I find really interesting. I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a quest narrative, you know, it's a classic quest is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, she came back, you know, she came to Louisiana for the first time and kind of found her home here, you know, her people. Um, And it's been really interesting to uh, watch, watch that unfold. (laughs) So um, we'll be looking forward to talking to her and finishing our conversation in a few minutes. Uh, But first, this week in Louisiana history. So this week in Louisiana history, on March 10th, 1864, Union General Nathaniel Banks begins the Red River Campaign, which our friend uh, in Shreveport, Gary Joyner, has pointed out, you know, quoting one of the contemporary accounts, it was a whole damn, what was it, a whole damn mess or something like that, or an entire damn mess or something. Yeah, he's written extensively on that campaign in both article and book form, so. And uh, who is the general for the uh, Confederates? We have his uh, autobiography on our website. Yeah, Dick Taylor, Richard Taylor, the son yes. of Zachary Taylor, the president. Yeah. And uh, so we have his, uh, have his uh, autobiography on our website if you're interested in learning more. Or and one also, damn blunder after another. I think that may have been what the guy called it. <laughs> also, um, several um, podcasts, I believe, over the years we've talked about it, uh, either all of an episode or a bit in an episode like um, Gary Joyner. I'm pretty sure we talked to him about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But first uh, and next uh, this week in New Orleans history, uh, the New Orleans Lyceum and Library Society at its origins in 1844 in an ordinance passed by the second municipality council providing for the establishment of a lyceum and library by the scholars of the public schools of municipality number two. The library opened on March 10th, 1846, with 3,400 books in its collection. By 1858, it had over 10,000 volumes. And of course, now uh, some of our friends in the Republican Party are trying to uh, get rid of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, they're they're always such friends of you know of, of, of the common good. You know, if there's a book, they're after it. Well, now for you this know, one, so that's pretty. That's pretty remarkable, though, in the sense that not just the growth of the library. I mean, that's probably the first serious library in the state of Louisiana. Don't you imagine like the first public type library? Yeah. First public library. I'm sure that, you know, they had archives and stuff like that, but not a, not a real library collecting books and letting the public read them. Um, Not real. You and I were talking earlier. It's, really not part of our cultural heritage. Who, no, that, that um, was a more Northeastern kind of an innovation. That's yeah. pretty, again, that's pretty doggone remarkable that they were doing uh, that. 
think the second municipality was the one the Americans settled in, and so maybe some of them said, "Oh, we need a you know a library down here the way we had up, up north in a Boston or wherever." Yeah. Yes. So uh, now for this week in Louisiana. So let's see. My page disappeared. So this week in Louisiana, go back here. Uh, this is the. 47th Louisiana Crawfish Festival. So here you go, Bruce. This is in Chalmette. I know. Uh, my, I picked the wrong, reason, wrong week to be in North Louisiana, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, March the 23rd through March the 26th of this year. Louisiana Crawfish Festival is located in beautiful, historic St. Bernard Parish, uh, St. Bernard Parish, Louisiana, which is rich with heritage, moss-covered oak trees, creole tomatoes, Louisiana bayous, shrimp boats, ostrilogers, is that how you pronounce that? Oil refineries and a, and, is a and is a fisher's paradise or haven. St. Bernard Parish is the home of the Battle of New Orleans site overlooking the mighty Mississippi River adjoining the crescent city of New Orleans. Even though St. Bernard uh, flourishes predominantly through diversity, its roots of ancestry dominate the culture engulfed with festivals, arts, crafts, and merriment. There's a website for this and an email address if you're interested in attending. So do turn out and eat some crawfish for us. Yeah. Now for That's this a big deal, you know. Oh, yeah. Now for this postcard from Louisiana, the Percy Harrison Band plays on Royal Street in front of Rouse's Supermarket.
Y'all sure she's not a gold digger? <laughs> Some of your 
um, your your documentary in Louisiana, book information, just sitting in that conference. Um, like uh, the guy that headed up our panel a couple of weeks ago, Gregory, who started doing his research, what was it, Stephen, 1962? Yeah, before I was born. <laughs> yeah, I was right before I was born. Yeah. Decades and decades. So, you know, uh, it's a good way to get your message out, but also maybe a way to meet some people that know some stuff, to put it in contact with, uh, oh, yeah, I know who you need to talk to. Yeah, and that's been the thing that um, that's really gotten me the farther in my project than I could on my own. Is someone saying, "I think I know who you could talk to," and right. it's amazing. I feel like uh, anybody who is beginning the journey of trying to unpack something about their family, you like reach out to someone, and maybe they don't respond, but somebody else will, and they'll know who to send you to. I don't know how it works. I guess it's magic, but it happens. It works. And, it's uh, small town uh, magic. People. Are, <laughs> It, 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 it happened to me, literally, because we had gone down here to Bimble Parish, or gone over here to Bimble Parish, and we stopped way out in the country at a little country store. And Mama went in there and was talking with some people, and, and I was sitting out. My dad was disabled. He had, had both legs off. So he was sitting out there uh, in the car with me, and it was starting. It was hot. It was one summer. It was getting very hot, and this is way back in 1990. And Daddy said to me, Go in there and see about your mama and see, and see about getting her back in the house. I was a grad student. You know, I was like 26 or 30 at the time, but I, mean, I was a grad student. And I go in there, and she's talking with this woman. So I didn't hear the first part of the conversation, and mama repeated the first part of it as we got home. But she said that she had asked this woman, or I asked anybody if they knew about this story and, and about my story, and with the odd name that's not common in North Louisiana at all. Again, that was – yeah. The ones from here turned out they're from somewhere in upstate New York. What? Yeah. And so wow. anyway, um, of all things, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, and Bruce and I will use this occasionally, speak of the devil and he appears. Yeah. <laughs> and they said to some woman, or said that, well, uh, uh, they said about this woman, you need to speak with somebody, so-and-so, that she knows about genealogy, and lo and behold, she came in the store. Oh my word! Yeah, this is what happened. He said, "I didn't. Yeah, I did not see this at all." Okay, so this is why I'm still sitting out in the car with my dad. And so, she, I walk in on them, and she's talking to my mother, and she's and I heard her say this. Well, she had to go to Shreveport and have a baby, and then the, uh, very quickly she's looking me up and down. And what we figured out after the fact, she's trying to see if there's a resemblance in me and my siblings. Yeah, because wow. we knew. We knew at the time that she had had another baby. We didn't know that there was a third. So, so that I had a younger brother and a younger sister. Wow. And so uh, we left, and we were about 30 minutes from the house, maybe 25 minutes from the house, and I kid you not. She said she had said to us, let me go and do some checking around and calling. I have a friend, I think she said up and sent, and this woman's now deceased, so I won't say who she was. But anyhow, the lady had said to us, um, I have a friend that's up in Cincinnati or Cleveland or someplace now from here, and I'll call her, and she, she'll she know what, you know, about, <laughs> about all this. So we get back in the car, run north to I-20, come back to Ruston, and I kid you not, we are back in the house. Oh, we, we didn't make it back to the house good. We were I'm trying to get my dad out and get him into his wheelchair, trying to get the house unlocked and you know, get the three of us into the house, and we get to the front door, the phone's ringing off the hook. Oh, my goodness. 
and it was a woman from Bamble Parish calling my mother, telling her, uh, now you didn't hear this from me, but she did have to go to Shreveport and have a baby, blah, 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 and, and, and your son may be that baby. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't yeah. it feel sometimes like you're just meant to find out, like it's meant to come back around? So, oh, yeah, I mean, that, wow. was how, that was what put us – and we had – we had a lot of the names already recorded. It's just that we there was no rhyme or reason to them. We just had names. There was no list of connections or anything like that. Um, oh, that's so beautiful. So we so found her the beautiful. next day. I mean, we, we went down there to her house the next day because the last kicker was she had been in a bad car crash a year or two before I was born, crushed her pelvis. So as a consequence, none of the three of us was born by natural childbirth. We were all C-section babies. Wow. I and my next youngest brother and my sister were C-babies. And, wow. we, and we were told she might have a limp. And wow. sure enough, yeah, sure enough, she met us at the door, and we talked with her and told her we were doing genealogy. And she got all hacked off about that later. We were doing genealogy. We just didn't tell her what kind we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, sometimes you have to be a little careful before you drop yeah, the bomb while you're there. Yeah, <laughs> she had heart trouble. And so when she wheeled around to let us in the house, uh, she turned around and, and walked away from the door, and we invited us in, and she limped. And that's when we knew we had her. Wow. Wow. I just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Wow. Well, in Louisiana, I mean, compared to New York, you could put our population in a corner of New York City and not even notice. But uh, it's spread out pretty, you know, over a large geography, but there are not that many people here. And so, especially when you get into the circles of folks that are interested in, Right. was in a history. It's to be a pretty small group, and you're going to run into those people. Uh, yeah, especially in North Louisiana, where there's only, what do they say, Bruce? It's only, there's not even a million people in Louisiana above Alexandria. Something like, not quite. Wow. Yeah, so this is, this is the, this is the part of Louisiana that's more like the South, quote unquote, because right, it is, it's, right. it's like the Western South. It's like East Texas and South Arkansas. And we, we say this all the time, but we don't sound like, uh, the rest of South, you know, South Louisiana. We don't sound like we got French accents or anything like mm-hmm. that. This was settled by people coming out of, like my family coming out of South Carolina and Georgia, at least my adopted family. So they sound like Andy Griffith. I mean, they sound wow. like <laughs> really. But this is the hill country. This, these were hill people. They didn't, they, you know, the dialect was different. The, the culture was different. The religion, everything was very different from South Louisiana. That's interesting. So as far as the, the culture and the religion, um, so the one thing that did get passed down, I'd say in air quotes that you can't see amusing, passed down was Catholicism because Lola was right, a right. strict Catholic. And so was my grandmother. I remember visiting her. We weren't – I wasn't Catholic. But if you were visiting her, you were going to church with her. It didn't matter what else was going on. Like you're, you're in that pew with her. And um, over and over again, the one thing that family members have told me is talking about the devoutness of their – Catholicism was like this was a foundational experience for them, and so that was interesting to hear that even in Louisiana, at least for mm-hmm. my family, um, it seemed to be really pervasive. Um, oh yes, yeah, for that, for that in the markers of uh, francophone Creole culture are a the French language, at least if you go back a bit, and mm-hmm. B Catholicism. So uh, that's how you know somebody um, assimilated to being Creole, where. You know, Americans generally showed up Protestant speaking English and refused to learn or change their religion. And so they're never be Creoles. Right. (laughs) You aren't willing to become Catholic and become part of that, uh, uh, part of that group. So yeah, much more important to your identity than 
simply uh, the color of your skin. It, it's, um, you know, yeah. they had a way of looking at people, and it made the Americans who showed up really uncomfortable. <laughs> I can understand that now, you know, taking a step back and kind of assessing things um, and looking at pictures and, and things like that. Now, I, I would love to hear from your experience or both of you as far as people who are reconnecting to cultures as outsiders. Have you seen that work? What does that look like? Oh. And what advice can you give as far as, like, what do I do now, you know? Who is even the woman from uh, California um, who got interested in why her family moved out there? Uh, oh, our, yeah, the friend of the show, uh, Shira Dedman, was that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this one is not a happy story because, uh, you know, the, the family had moved to California, and I think they, you know, I don't think they passed. I think they were just a family that moved and there was never anything really said about why they moved. And when she started mm-hmm. doing research, it turned out, was it her grandfather? No, her great-grandfather. Yeah, it was around 1910, 1912, I think. Yeah, her great-grandfather had been lynched probably <gasps> over um, oh my goodness. economic prosperity, although they found a white woman to, you know, blame it on, <laughs> of course. Uh, and so as part of their documentary, they go back. Shreveport for the first time. She and oh my gosh, it's yeah, it's really powerful and uh, you know very very sad. Um, And they've got a jar of dirt and put it in that museum in Alabama that they do that. Um, Wow, uh, ancestors. Oh my goodness, I've never heard of that. And ironically, she called it. To us, and I think she said this on the documentary. They shot a short documentary that you know chronicles mm-hmm. her story and her because she and her mom came came over from California. Yeah, but, it's the closest thing to your project that we've uh, come across. But she she was saying that that they felt kind. Of, what was it, Bruce? Something about they felt strangely at home here. There's almost yes. like this magnetic pull of yes. home. Oh, oh they yes. went. They went to was it Calvary um, or Galilee? Church? Which church did they go to when they got here? I don't remember. We have a, we, it's been so long since we interviewed her. Like, you know, we've been doing this now for nine years for this show. That's amazing. And so this was probably six or seven years. Yeah, it's been quite a while back. Uh, but, yeah, they felt at home. They even fiddled with the idea of moving back here. I mean, really, wow. was, they were that kind of taken with the Shreveport and Cato Parish area. Wow. Well, there's something really powerful about showing up where, you know, your ancestors were and where they, they lived and they died. And and I don't know, for me, I, I do feel like, like, like I was saying, when I came back and I walked around Natchitoches, I was, like, almost in tears. Like, I, and nothing was happening. I was just there. And I think just, I don't know, there's something about that. And uh, I don't know if it's special to Louisiana or if it's special to uh, people who are kind of on those journeys. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Right. You're You're on this quest. Uh, to find out who your people are. And um, and there's this, I mean, really long-term history going all the way back to the 1700s that you've just stumbled into. Um, Yeah, (laughs) right, right. Right, yeah. Yeah, wow. It's it's amazing. And like I said, like still, still in process. Like I don't know where this is going to end up. And I think... Part of it was my hope to get everybody in the family kind of on board with let's all let's all just accept X or whatever, but that's not how it works. And so I think, you know, 
I don't know. I just, I think that's probably one of the complications I didn't consider before starting opening Pandora's box, so to speak, of uh, how will my family react? Um, oh, how did your family react? <laughs> I, think, I think that's also a varied experience. I think some, some people don't like this. Um, I've had a couple negative reactions, some more along the lines of like, we're barely X. Why do you care about that? Other people really excited. They're saying, I always knew, you know, I always wondered or, you know, so there's been kind of the whole spectrum. Um, I, I think the, the, the difficult part though is saying, okay, so we have these stories, we have this history, we have all this proof, right? Proof of who you are, but are you really this? And what are you going to do with this going forward? Um, and I think that's kind of where it's hard for people to kind of actually have, have something actionable, you know? You have to define yourself. I mean, that's been my philosophy because I'm, I live it you know, every day. So I'm not telling mm-hmm. you this if somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. I'll yeah. not with the, because there's some mystery in my background too, but it's possible mystery in terms of European history. I mean, there was a name in my background that possibly is Jewish. Possibly. Wow. And, well, but, and I figured this out. It was either going to be German, it was going to be Austrian or Jewish, and I, there's a chance, and maybe a good chance, that it's actually of all things, it's something I hadn't even considered. It may be Swiss of all things. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's uh, a whole story wrapped up in, in, in those interactions, you know, that you may find something. You yeah. Know, and and so to me, I, don't, I think you're on the right track by saying it's not that easy. It's not, you know, cut and dried. It's, just, it's an ongoing process to define who you are. Uh, and what's your relationship to to your family, you know, and, and to your friends and so forth. Um, it's You know, the question of identity, we, Bruce and I deal with this a lot because we both teach literature, and mm-hmm. it's one of the most primal questions you can ask in literature. Who am I? <laughs> right, you right. Know, what, who am I? What's my purpose? What's what's the, the meaning of life in general, but my life in particular? Uh, those yeah. are primal questions that are, you know, we struggle and we wrestle with those throughout our lives. I don't think there's a final answer to them, frankly. Part of the culture, Southern culture, is that um, who you are is related to who your family is. Like yes, uh, yes. down here you meet somebody and uh, they say, well, who's your grandmother? Yeah. <laughs> um, because they want to tie you into that, um, you know, this, this genealogy. In there. It's kind of important because, um, uh, you know, my family lived in Covington County for a couple of hundred years and, if you're not careful, you end up marrying your cousin. <laughs> you really want to keep that genealogy, uh, you know, in your mind when you're, you're just making your way through life. Oh, uh, it's funny. There's a quote that I've come over uh, upon many times in this journey, and it's not who do you claim, but who claims you. And oh, I think yeah. that has kind of given me a little bit more structure with this as I'm kind of searching and seeing, okay, these people are my family, and, and, and you know, what do they have to say? And I, I, I like that because I think it makes it more, I can say it's more of a community experience of not just me in isolation, because that's not what I want. I want right. a community, a culture that we need to stout on. Um, and so it's been really special to me because I think translating, like, these old records from hundreds of years ago to me right now alive and, and saying that this long line of people, like, even when I didn't know who they were, I was part of this line. And, and yeah, I think it's nice. So have you started trying to cook some of those family recipes? <laughs> I did try to make cornbread because um, that was one thing my 
I was able to have my right. grandmother sit down and tell me a little bit about her mom before she died. And she did say her mom loved cornbread. Like, so I don't have a recipe, but we started doing that. I don't know about the pig head tamales. I don't know if I'm brave enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> Damn for that. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to make some adjustments to that one. Um, but I haven't tried gumbo yet, so the next time I come down in two weeks, we're um, possibly going to go to a restaurant. I, I connected with someone. I think the restaurant's called Orlando's. It's in Shreveport. And I think it's one of the longest-run African-American restaurants, like, in the oh, country. Yeah. And I connected with the owner because I think we might be related. And uh, so I think I'm going to try gumbo there for the first time. Oh, um, yeah. I'm a little nervous. Um, they also sell gator, I guess, to eat, which was like, <laughs> okay. I had I gator know. a couple of days last week. Okay. You did? Okay, well, that's not a thing that exists <laughs> in New York. So I didn't know you. they were edible. Um, I, did, I don't know how it will be presented, <laughs> but I'm going to try it. Actually, usually it's just cut up in little pieces. It just looks like stew or something. Uh, or I mean, of it. Like, if it's fried, I'm sure it will be good. I don't They're going to send out an alligator. <laughs> I don't know. They had the pig head in the pot. I don't know what could happen. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm going to try that. Uh, I went to my best friend, Lisa Walker. She's sitting on the podcast. Um, I went up there to visit. She's in Maine. and She's a Yankee. You know, she's from up north. And we're going to make some um, uh, lobster etouffee, which that's to say is a Louisiana thing. You usually put like shrimp or crawfish uh, in, but they have lobster, so we we're going to try stock. And I said, "Well, if you want to make the stock, let me pick us up some pig feet." <laughs> what? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know it would be hard to find. We had to go into the butcher shop and order pig feet, and it came in later in the week. And when you opened them up, you know. There were four pig feet, you know. <laughs> I am amazed that that's a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, you got a thing. That almost ended our friendship right there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you bring up a good point, though. Cause I, 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 like, had wondered, you know, why we didn't have these cultural foods. And my aunt was like, well, who knows what was available in Albany in the 50s. Like, probably not the food from back home. So, no. you know, and that's, you know, things are different now. You can go to an international market and find a lot of stuff, but back in you know, Yeah, you might be able to, although I I, don't, I haven't seen them at Publix yet here, so I don't know. <laughs> Around here, you go in a mini mart, you know, the big jar of pickled pig feet there, um, you know, so, yeah, it's a thing. Um, I have so much to learn. That's <laughs> a, a crash course. I'm looking them up at Orlando's, and that's out. Of, that's a really interesting area. It's out on yeah. Cross Lake, which is, I think, is the reservoir that's the Shreveport Municipal Water Supply. If I'm not mistaken, it's I'm, a I'm big, not big sure. Lake I haven't been there yet. It's a, it's a, my mother lived there uh, before she and my dad got married, and uh, well, it looks beautiful. Lake is, it's been around for a long time, but yes, yeah, out there on that lake. A logistics question. When you fly in, you probably don't go to Natchitoches directly. Did you go to Shreveport? Or so with in? all of our film equipment, we actually drive because I'm ah. afraid to have, we bring 
because we haven't, like I said, we haven't, the, for the shorts, that's been more like casual, sit down with just the camera. But now we're going to be flying in this light and lots of mics and audio stuff and stands. And so, yeah, we're driving those those down. So it's about, it's about 12 hours from Nashville. So it's not too bad, but we're going to no. drive. So what's in Nashville? Is that where you live now? or? Um... Yeah, yep. I'm, oh. I've lived here for about 12 years. So uh, I thought it was the south until we went to Louisiana. And have then I you, realized it wasn't. <laughs> have you thought about, because uh, Sheila, Shira did move back. And have you thought about moving back to Louisiana? And did Shira move back to, to Louisiana? I didn't yeah, know there's that. something really tempting. So. I mean, there's something right. tempting about it. I mean, especially when I realized, like, there's land that you could still get that my ancestors had for so long. And and I've never really had that. Um, experience on my my dad's side of the family they're from Italy so it's like I don't have any I've never been there I don't know anything about that so I feel like I've been kind of a stranger in a strange land and right. you, know, you go to Louisiana I'm like this is the exact spot where they had their house and you can buy it and you know it's <laughs> it's romantic at, at the very yeah, at the le- yeah it's a romantic if idea if you're used to New York crisis it's probably a bargain as well oh. Yeah, and the New York attitudes aren't down there either, so that's good, too. <laughs> Everyone's so, I feel like as soon as you cross the Mason-Dixon line, you're getting smiles in the store. You're getting, you know, um, so I love it, and I love that. Thank you. This is such a crossroads. People haven't talked to each other there. Um, because uh, you've got locals, you also got a lot of tourists, you know, <laughs> stumbling around <laughs> Uh, you know, they're people. Yeah, it was uh, really crazy when I went there the first time. So we went to Fort St. John Baptiste, and then we went to, like, a little um, tourist store, a tourist shop, you know. And uh, I went in there, and I was talking to the girl at the counter. I was telling her how, you know, um, who my ancestors were, because that's just what happened. And she told me she was a descendant of uh, St. Denis. And it was kind of oh. interesting because my family, like, I've been able to trace you know, part of them to some of the tribes that were in the area at the time when they came and just wondering, you know, where our ancestors two or 300 years ago interacting. And then here we are standing at the counter at the little, you know, tchotchke shop and uh, talking about it. And I was right. like, that's amazing. What an amazing place. So. Well, here's, a, here's another one for you to contact while you're down there, if you haven't already contacted her. Have okay. you met a woman Named, let me think of her name, Bruce, and you may have to help me. Named Kelly Jackson. No, I haven't. I'm writing it down now. Okay, Kelly has been on our show. She's a filmmaker. Okay. And she is the founder and the proprietor of the Cane River Film Festival. And she is a descendant of the Matoyers, I think, of Coin Coin herself. Oh, I am too. Okay, so your oh. cousins there. Whoa, that's amazing. And, okay, and she is. In the, and I don't know if you've been following this, Bruce. I've been meaning to ask you this, so I'll just ask you on air. But she <laughs> is in the uh, final stages. She's putting the finishing touches on her own uh, documentary. And I wish I could think of the name of it, but she's been shooting this for quite some time. And mm-hmm. so what will happen next is I guess it will go into the editing room. Yeah, uh, it's a long process. Yeah, you, you must, when, when you get more established on Facebook or whatever, but send her a friend request because Kelly – there's a real wealth of information about all of this family history and so forth. As I said, she's, she's been doing this for years, literally. And for a time, she was even trying to sell 
either a book or maybe her documentary, maybe the Oprah Winfrey Network, or maybe Paramount Network. So I'm not sure wow. who's eventually going to air it. Yeah, she's even looked, I think, at LPB, too, the public broadcasting affiliate. But, I mean, yeah, she's been, you know, in some contact with a lot of people to, to tell the story because this is a story that needs to be told and, and is definitely worthy of being told. And before wow. COVID, she was having a film festival. Um, I think you'd be perfect for, you know, to show what you're doing uh, there. And there's also a film festival in uh, Shreveport, I think. Um, and so, you know, put your stuff out there on the circuit um, if you can. Uh, yeah, Louisiana has a real film culture. There's a, and it tends to be in the bigger cities. I mean, Natchitoches is kind of an outlier, being a you know small town. Right. But there are some film. Uh, Baton Rouge has an animation festival of all things, uh, and that's my old hometown. It's where I grew up. But you know, New Orleans, New Orleans has I think two or three film festivals. Wow, so, many, I'll look her up. How many episodes do you think you're going to make of this? Um, you know, I was hoping, I was thinking it would just be like maybe four or five, but mm-hmm. the the more people you talk to, the more things you thought, oh, I didn't consider that. And uh, The longer it gets. It is. And I, originally, I was going to do like a feature film, like, but I, I think I want them to be bite-sized because I think there's a lot yeah. to process. And I kind of right. want to just... Make the story take time because that's how it was for me. I didn't just sit down and have you know it was in ninety minutes. I I figured it out. This is this is a, a big journey, and I want to kind of honor each step of that. And so um, well, that could yeah. be something that LPB shows was in a public broadcasting when it's done. You know, they're always looking for content. Yeah, I would love. I mean, again, like I said, this this I realize the story is a community story. It's not like like our family right. anymore. And so I I want it to be that um and i'm glad it is because i don't know it it, it kind of takes the weight off of trying to figure this out on your own when you realize this is this is something that a lot of people have wondered and walked through and and uh it's always good right and then you hit that load where somebody's been doing this work before you and, uh, yes all this stuff it's just ready to go <laughs> yes 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 and i definitely have i uh, met one cousin who I did um, interview for one of the shorts as well. His name is Chris Smith. Turns out someone told me, you should talk to Chris. So I, I messaged him, don't know him from anyone, just introduced myself. Um, turns out, you know, we're family, and he's like a family historian. I mean, he loved it, and he just shared everything with me. And he was so happy because when someone when someone cares about it, you want them to have it all too. You know, it's just so oh wonderful God. when someone does. Um, so I'm so Thank thankful God. for that. There comes a point you bring up the subject and everybody just flees the room because you've been talking about it so much. I know. I know. It's hard. My husband, he knows so much about the Perot's now. I'm like, you know, I can't believe I found another record about whatever. But, um, you know, this is, it's not just a hobby because it's, like I said, I have children and I, I want to kind of set the framework for them so that they don't have to struggle through these things the same way. And I'm sure it will still be a struggle, but, well, It's know. a detective story, which, you know, on any night of the week, you turn on your TV and there are any number of detective shows going because it's inherently interesting and you've got a mystery and you're trying to solve it. And it's very exactly. personal, like mine was. I mean, you know, yeah. we searched, before we found the, the nitty-gritty of mine, we we searched, I think, around a year, year and a half, something like that. We started sometime maybe early 1989 mm-hmm. and finished, I know, in the summer of 1990. Uh, literally one week before my birthday. Wow. And I told my, yeah, well, and see, she had not seen me since I was a baby, so she had not seen me in 26 years. So she had wow. no idea what I would have looked like. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, well, it was pretty pretty uncanny. And then we, when we saw my brother, because some person passed me as we were going to their house down in Jackson Parish, and we were driving really slowly. I think I, I was going to say my mother was driving, but I think I was driving. And they, the person flew around us in that car, and I thought, geez. And I made this offhand remark uh, because we had found out that there was another sibling, a girl, a, a wow. girl and a boy, but besides the first boy, I yours truly. And I, I made this offhand remark. That'd be funny if that was one of my siblings that flew past us, and it turned out it was. Wow. And wow. I found that that small next, world. Yeah, I found that out the next day when we met them in person. I said uh, somebody had passed us on the highway, and, and my sister uh, – Happened to make the remark that yes, somebody was driving real slow, and I, I something about. <laughs> that, yeah, well, she's, she's got a lot of my weird personality ticks, but in a woman's body, we look <laughs> nothing alike. She she was blonde when I met her. And I'm a brunette with brown eyes. She had blonde hair and green eyes. Uh, but we've got two traits, physical traits that are pretty similar. I've got two dimples right by my mouth. They're really tiny ones. She's got one. <laughs> Then we've got the same shaped hands, but what we've got a lot of similarities with is personality. She's maybe ADHD like I am. I'm definitely very ADHD. She's probably ADD, but she's very impatient. And this, when this car flew around us, she she it revealed it. She said, "Oh, I passed some car." And I, got to get you. <laughs> I think I'm, there's a we, lesson yeah, we in there somewhere. House. We were trying to find their house, you know. Wow. That's uh, an question. That's all these cousins that look like maybe meet. Or somebody that you know could be a like you you see them they say oh okay that's where I'm from I look like this person yeah my brother looked like me at the time I mean he's he was uh, heavier than I am and darker but he had black I've got brown hair like I said he had black black hair but my eyes my nose my smile and then I met his daughter for the first time and I saw her again here a few years ago and I mean when she stepped out of her car I said my God you could be my baby wow so yeah, I love that. Have you had that experience? Yes. Yes. Every family member that I've met in person, and they see me, they say, "Oh my goodness, you look just like." And to me, I think, I think that was actually not to be silly, but really healing for me, because um, you know, I think you grow up with a lot of questions with things like this, and 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 to know, like, okay, like, I do, I do look like my family. I do look like, and they recognize me. Um, and so that that was really great, and it's great to like get the pictures and they bring them out and and you see these similarities and um yeah, I think that's a really special part of the journey um you know maybe you don't know exactly how to write a a pithy little sentence about your your uh, ethnic identity, but you could look and say, "This is my family and right. that's really the most important part i think yeah. yeah i I can see how that would be because um you know growing up in a without that many people that look a lot like you, and then you come to this little town in North Louisiana, and, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so here they are. <laughs> here they are, yeah. yeah. It's part of that primal question being answered, who am I? And I, you know, I mean, my mother looked on the wall of this woman's house. It was a, I can't remember if it was in the hallway or where. It may have been right off the living room. But anyway, she looked on the wall, and there was a picture of a man and a woman and a little girl and a little boy. And she looked at the boy's picture. She said, how did you get Stephen's picture? Because at age four or five, maybe, so I would have been six or seven at the time. Because my brother is is almost exactly 22 uh, He's 22 months younger than I am. So he's almost exactly two years younger. And so 
she looked at that picture and thought it was me, and it was not me. Wow. That's amazing, though. I mean, you must have felt, like, such a sense of connection, though, seeing that. Well, she would not get remarried uh, on a particular day in June. Uh, and I found out after the fact later because her father, uh, that was his birthday, but it was also my birthday. And so she, I was born the day of my biological grandfather and the same wow. day. And, wow. and, and they had divorced. Her, her mother and, and father had divorced when she was a kid, probably a teenager. And that was unheard of in North Louisiana in the 40s and 50s. And I think they divorced in the 40s. Wow. And, and he walked off and left his family literally and moved to Shreveport and uh, had an entirely new family over there. And I, I don't even think she even went to his funeral. Uh, wow. But, yeah, she would not get married that particular day because of the bad memories associated with it, with her father's birth and with my birthday, too. Wow. Wow. Well, I think so, you just never know what you're going to find. <laughs> no. I wanted to ask a follow-up from earlier. Um, you said your grandfather had died, leaving a, his widow and what, eight kids. How did yeah. she- what did she do to keep, you know, uh, to make money, frankly? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so my, my aunts tell me that my, my grandma and her siblings grew up, like, truly uh, taking food out of people's gardens. Like, they were that poor. Um, they were very poor. And um, Lola ended up becoming, like, a, I think a nurse's aide at some point. But that was, like, much later on. And a question I always had, I don't know, if, I haven't found it yet, was – why didn't she just go back home to Louisiana? Like, her family was still down there. Um, She had no support in New York. She had no money in New York. Her husband was dead. She has eight kids. And they're being discriminated against, like, by the neighbors. You know, why not go back home? But she didn't. And uh, so that's kind of actually where I am right now as far as the process of the storytelling is. uh, That's where I'm at. And um, I'm not sure (laughs) why that happened. And... uh, Right. Yeah, these are, you know, these are just things where maybe you don't get an answer, but, um, you know, just keep looking, keep asking questions, because like you said, like, they didn't have any money up there. I think I thought that when they left Louisiana, she went to New York, and then we were rich, and you're <laughs> white, and you're happily ever after, and that's not what the story was. Um, it didn't turn out that way. So, you know, I don't know what they did. They... <laughs> Whatever right. they did, you know, they made it through, but it wasn't. I think she, like, um, people, she would let out rooms of the house, so she, the kids would sleep in the attic, and then she would let out the bedrooms for money, like, stuff like that. Right. I mean, Was it a boarding know. house? Was it a boarding well, house? I mean, it wasn't, but I think that's what she was doing. Like, that was the house that they were living in. So the as far as my Grammy's brothers and stuff, they slept in the attic upstairs because the bedrooms were being occupied by renters, so they could bring their money that way, like, right. Right. you know. That makes, I mean, it makes sense because my mom's, um, her aunt was doing that same thing. It's sort of been my great aunt, but she was doing that after my grandma died. This is 1924, so sometime mm-hmm. probably around, this is before my granddad remarried, so probably prior to 1930. And she was, uh, she was, that's why I asked you if it was a boarding house. She was keeping a full on boarding house. Wow. And supplying meals and, and, and the rooms that you mentioned, uh, to, to, you know, to occupants. And this was to bring in extra money because she was widowed. And they needed, she and some, you know, small children needed money uh, to put food on the table. Yeah, you do anything you can. And, uh, you know, but I've always wondered why not go back down. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I again, I, hadn't, I haven't had to have the experience of someone with dark skin like her 
like and experience whatever she experienced and maybe she decided I don't want my kids to experience that and so she would you know you choose one one thing over another um well, that yeah. was I mean, when lynching and Jim Crow and segregation were in it was a, it was a bleak time oh yeah yeah I mean this is predating all the civil rights this is probably the 1930s um, right and, yeah, you know, depression, my, my, during the Depression. Yeah. Right. And during the Depression, my husband had brought up a good point, too, when we were driving home from Louisiana the first time. And I was like, the family seemed so nice, and, and they were here. Why didn't she go back? And he was like, maybe she would have been okay in the tiny little town where there was a lot of people that looked like her. But if you had to leave for some reason or go to a store, would you not be allowed to use a bathroom? Would you not be allowed to go in a restaurant? Like, who knows? Who knows how that works? Because, you know, again, like you're saying, like this is way before <laughs> – yeah, you know, mm-hmm. segregation, and I don't know how she identified. I mean, I know she identified as French, but I don't know really how in her heart she saw herself. But uh, I, think, um, I actually remember the end of segregation. You know, like when I was a kid, it was the early '60s, and right. the city pool was for white kids, and then I think on Thursdays uh, it was for black kids. So you got, you know, like maybe one day a week. And, the balconies in um, the movie theater and it's courthouse yeah. for black people. And yep. uh, the kids today, they had a concept of it. And I said, you know why yeah. the courthouse has the balcony? Yes. The okay. and it was there when I was a kid. It reminds me of a story I was told when we went down. I went to Campsy for the first time. So that's like maybe 10 miles from Natchitoches. That's where she was born. She Lola was there for like the first 10 years of her life. It's a real small little town. And I was told there is a community pool there. And obviously this, she predated the pool. But I saw the pool and it was filled with trash. And someone told me there, well, they filled the pool with trash when desegregation happened because the white people in the community would rather fill it with garbage than have black people in the pool with them. And it's still yeah. filled with trash. And that haunted me because that was the 60s. So I'm like, who knows what she was, what, if she had one bad experience and said, not for my kids. And she left. I don't know. We talked. Was it Tim Parrish, uh, Stephen? Wait, you um, kind of broke up right there. What did you say? We talked to Tim Parrish. Yeah, yeah, because he and, he's the one that was friends with my cousin, Bad Rouge, of all things. Yeah. And anyway, uh, he grew up in the abandoned suburb in the uh, the, the clan was real big in Baton Rouge back then, and mm-hmm. they blew up the swimming pool in his little town uh, rather than integrate it. Oh my goodness. A lot of school systems shut down, and they opened these uh, white academy, white flight academies uh, uh, just for white kids. You know, they they figured out ways to keep those schools white. Um, um, and yeah, it, it's not that long ago. It's in living memory. No, it's not that long ago. Yeah. Well, so and, bad and they, they were the Klan was you know openly running a storefront type. Uh, affair uh, out east of where I grew up in Baton Rouge, at Livingston Parish. I mean, they were doing that kind of thing. They had we passed them one time over in Denham Springs for something. And there was I remember, and I was a little kid. I was maybe six years old, no more than six or seven. It was right after we moved back, uh, moved down there, and they had a, I think it was a, a hood or a robe hung up on a hanger right there in a, oh my a like a like a display window like people and I you know stores still have those things. Yeah. But this would be to display their wares. Well this was to display who they were. Yeah, this was a oh statement of identities. 
but it's also meant to be it's obviously meant to be a threat to you know to right. not just to black residents but to someone who is white who might support civil rights. So it's meant right. to be a scare it's a scare tactic. It is. Well it's been interesting oh go ahead, go ahead. I put friend Lamar White, I think we first met him when we were both working on a twelve year slave, uh the book mm-hmm. not movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The BBC sent a camera crew and did a big story, and Lamar was kind of the liaison locally, and he was showing them all around, uh, you know, the area where the real events took place. You know, this is, you know, we we know the locations because he wrote them down. At one of them, they uh, look up, and there's a noose hanging from a tree, and, you know, it's, it's 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. Um, and... Uh, I don't think they hanged anybody, but you know what that means, right, when you see it. Right, um, right. You know, they the put it out there as a way of terrorizing people. And, you know, that's how they received 12 years of slave in Alexandria, or some people did. Wow. It's, well, it's, it's, remember my crazy. story, Bruce. Uh, Bruce had me to bring this up just a couple of weeks ago to another guest, so I'll tell you. So I'm a little kid. I didn't know the backstory of what I'm about to tell you at all. Until years later, and I mean, really, I bet you all of 35 to 40 years later. Oh, wow. But uh, my dad had gone to work for a car dealership in Denham Springs in Livingston Parish, but we lived in East Baton Rouge across the river, right outside of Baton Rouge, in a, what's now part of the city, but was then unde- mostly undeveloped. And so anyway, uh, he went to work for this car dealership, and, and, and unbeknownst to me, he quit them, or he was not off, you know, he was off the payroll not very long afterward, you know, probably within about a year. We didn't, I didn't know why. And he goes to work in Baton Rouge. I find out years later that the Klan was active in his, the place of business where he worked. And they came to my dad and wanted him to join the Klan. Wow. And he came, God bless him, he came and talked to my mother, who was his counselor. And he said, what should I do? They want me to join the Klan. And she said, don't join them because, quote, they're nothing but a bunch of no-account vigilantes. Right. He didn't join. And so, and when what happens immediately afterward, thank God he didn't join, but, of course, he is fired from his job. Oh, my goodness. So that, and I never was keen on the Klan anyway, but that made me just, frankly, hate the guts of the Klan because they cost us food on the table. And it's wow. not as taking somebody's life, which is what they also did to people. But it made me hate them because they cost my dad his job. Wow. Wow. Well, it's amazing. My my cousin, who I mentioned, Chris Smith, he's like kind of a family historian who lives in Monroe. He was telling me stories about, like, you know, other cousins and how um, I guess there was uh, the Klan was pretty active, like, in this area. And um, later on, when one of the, the Klansmen, he died and they were at the funeral, um, one of our cousins showed up and he's, He's, he's like us, like right. He was a lot darker, but I guess the guy never realized that he that he was part black, because they were buddies. And um, you know, you realize that like the identities are not as cut and dry. Like you 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 think that you know what someone is, but you don't. And people are hiding it, obviously, and they're lying about it. But uh, I don't know. It just kind of struck me that you could have someone that's like in the clan, but also their fishing buddy is like Creole or part Creole or whatever. And if they knew, who knows? But they didn't know. And yeah, uh, yeah. A few years ago, uh, a Klan leader, or maybe it was, a, I think it was a Klan leader, he made the mistake of getting one of these blood tests, and it turned out personally <laughs> black, and they disavowed him. You know, he was no longer part of the local, much like the leader. You know, oh no, you've got 
black blood. Um, you know, like the, one drop, right? Yeah, the blood quantum, right? Uh, so we don't want you. So, yeah, I, you know, generally speaking, I think we're in a better time. Um, like, I don't see a lot of street harassment going on. Like, if you've got a mixed race couple and uh, people just seem to live and let live at this point, even in North Louisiana. Um, yeah. But, you know, we also, I mean, we've got Steve Scalise who, uh, when the fascist got elected in um, uh, Italy last week, sent her his congratulations. <laughs> it's not very far below the surface. Well, and we have, we have Clay Higgins, who at least has claimed to be a member of the 3% group, which is one of these anti-government slash uh, militia groups, which is a hate, it's a recognized hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center up in, up in or over in Alabama. So, I mean, and he, he claims to be affiliated with them. He's never... You know, I, I, he went to one or two uh, rallies where he said this, so it's basically it's one of those cases of he said, he said, so there's no way to prove it. But still, mm-hmm. just, just claiming that affiliation is pretty despicable. But he knows you know, who his audience is, too, and he's appealing clearly to the racists and the bigots. Yeah, well, I think it's amazing. Uh, again, my cousin Chris is saying that, you know, people, you know, he knew a lot of people who growing up, they seem real racist, and he they'd find out later, well, you your papa was part this, this, and this. And it's like, you didn't even know. And I think that's kind of interesting what the DNA tests are doing. I think, you know, it's kind of a revealing, revealing these secrets and maybe kind of giving people pause to say, well, that's me, actually. So what does that mean now? Again, especially in Louisiana, because we are so mixed. Um, You know, we were, we never bothered to hide it like a lot of people in other states did. It was just... That wing of the family happens to be black. <laughs> this wing happens to be right, white. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's amazing, but it's a beautiful journey, and um, I'm like so appreciative to um, be making these connections with Louisiana because, like I said, Louisiana was always just like this almost sepia-toned place in my mind that only existed in the past, and right. to be able to connect to people who live there right now and speak to you and learn and. Just be connected because that's really, I think, at the end of the day, what I didn't know, that's what I really wanted was to be connected there. And I feel like right. it's slow, slowly happening. Well, it would happen faster if you move back. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> we'll and, see how the gumbo, and, and we'll see how the gumbo tastes. And certainly with Kelly. I mean, I would really consider contacting Kelly Jackson because, like I said, she knows a lot of these things. Also, she can put you in touch with people who know things. I mean, she had a we still have a standing offer. We've interviewed her, but we, Bruce and I had a standing offer a few years ago to come down there and go to that Cane River uh, National Heritage Site because I think that's run by the Fed. So it's not just a state thing. It's a okay. federal deal. And if I'm not mistaken, one of her cousins actually operates the gift shop down there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look. I haven't been there day. yet. Yeah, I mean, you really need to check that out. I mean, but I, I, I don't know if Bruce has seen it. I haven't. I've seen Fort St. John uh, uh, St. John Baptiste. I've seen that, and I've seen, of course, the city, but yeah. not that, you know, not this kale, uh, this uh, Creole uh, site. So again, you know, contact her because I think she's would be a real fount of information for you. Oh, I absolutely will. I thank you so much for that. I am. I will take any lead I can get, and you never know uh, who you're related to. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, that's I think, the, the big but, takeaway from Louisiana is you, you're probably related to them, whoever it is. You may not like it. Like my dad said, <laughs> like that, that our family was probably full of horse thieves and cattle rustlers. <laughs> so you might not like, the, you know, learning what you find. But <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And I thank you so much for giving me a chance to even kind of Go public with this. Sometimes it feels like dirty laundry, and I'm not sure if I should be doing it, but I, I think it's it's the right thing to do. So. I think by showing the particulars of your situation, it, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. Um, and um, the, especially people that moved up and off touch, I mean, there are a lot of folks that have tried to reestablish that connection with um with their with their lost families, and it, it is the thing. Um, so, is there anything you're talking about that you'd like to uh, bring out? You know, I I think just that um, going to Louisiana really felt like going home, and it sounds silly uh, to say that as a New Yorker, um, but really, it it I think there's always going to be like a part of me that belongs there, and I'm. Um, it's just been really beautiful to get to uh, make the journey. And I thought it was going to be one time I visit. And now it's like, I guess I'm going every couple months. And uh, so, um, yeah, that's how it's it starts. Just, that's, right, that's how it starts. And um, I'm just so thankful to everyone there who's just been so warm and welcoming to me. And because uh, you don't know what you're, I didn't know if people were going to be like, well, she's from New York. Like, don't talk to her. Like, I don't know. And it wasn't <laughs> like that. It wasn't like that. Everyone was warm and wanted to share everything they knew, and I just felt immediately accepted. And um, so I think that just says something about the state, because everywhere I went, that's what I experienced. branches of the family reconnect. So most people that are interested in the subject to start with would be really interested in talking to you about it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, oh shoot! You know what? You just cut out for a second. I need to hear that part again. I thought I heard it, it. I had it, and then it left. Oh, um, I was just saying the kind of people that do this research generally are really designing the branch of the family that's been lost. You know, grasping. Um, Hello. Hey, hey, Bruce. I think you lost her. Yeah, I'm here. I couldn't. Uh, okay. I actually lost you. It actually cut okay. out. I was only getting like, I can hear Stephen, but Bruce's was cutting out a little bit. Can you hear now? A little bit. Let's see. Okay, let's try it's this again. It's kind of breaking up. Yeah, it's breaking bit. up a little bit. But Stephen, yeah. if you can hear what he said, I guess you could tell me, but I, I couldn't get it. Yeah, he was breaking up for me. I'm hearing it's making that kind of skipping sort of sound where you hear yeah. the third or fourth yeah. word. Can y'all hear me now? A little better. That's a little better. Like to do genealogy research and family research, really like finding the lost branch of the family. Like you're coming in and saying, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm getting part of him. Stephen, did you hear that? Yeah, he said something about when you're doing uh, this genealogical research, it's like finding a lost branch of the family. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would say like the theme of like the, the tree um, has come to my mind a lot. My husband, he's um, he moved to Nashville for music, but now he's he's in marketing. Um, 
but he wrote songs for the documentary for me and um, for me to use. And uh, one of the songs is about like the family tree. And uh, I think that has kind of been a theme of this uh, story. And so, yeah, that definitely is a theme for me and something I've been thinking about is the family tree. So much for coming on our podcast. I feel like I've learned a lot, um, and uh, we really appreciate your generosity in sharing your story with us. Oh, absolutely! It was an honor to speak with you. And uh, every time I talk to someone from Louisiana, I learn more about who I am and my family is. So I thank you for that. Um, yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm going to try to look on Facebook and find you guys. I think I'm. I actually am connected with you, Bruce, but. Um, not Steven, oh, so. Yeah, I sent yeah, I sent you a friend request, and like I said, I would, um, you know, when you get off, contact Kelly, and I'm trying to think there there are some various sites that Bruce and I know where you can contact them about research in the Creole, Louisiana. Uh, they, they are on Facebook, but a lot of them link to full-on websites. Okay. I'm going to poke around there. I think, yeah, uh, a guy named, uh, Bruce, what's his name? Is it uh, Mark Rudney? What's his, that? Uh, Mark Rudney, was that his name? Is, is that his oh, yeah. name? He's a teacher up in, in the Midwest somewhere, like Minnesota or someplace. But his his long ago great grandfather, great uncle, I'm not sure which what the connection is now. It escapes me. But anyway, he founded the first black owned daily newspaper in the, in the United States because there was a weekly before that. But his his paper was the first wow. black owned daily, and it was founded during during the Civil War. And, uh, yeah, and he. He had lived all his life uh, as a black man and found out, oh, we are, you know, got this Creole uh, color connection. Uh, yeah. So now he's really bringing it back. That old newspaper from 150 years ago. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, it's so beautiful. Well, I'm, I wrote on everything that you guys shared. I'm going to go through all of it. And, you never know uh, what lead will take you where, and that's kind of how it's been. So thank you so much for your generosity. Keep us posted on your progress. We want to let people know when the new episodes come out. Yeah, I, I, the first episode, I'm still um, in the middle of editing. It's almost ready, and um, it's going to be kind of epic to take something that's been buried for almost 100 years and open it up. So we'll see what happens when we do that. Well, good luck. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Yeah. You take care. You too. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye. We want to thank Danielle for coming on our podcast the last couple of weeks, talking about her um, her um, her research and. You know, she's also developed a skill in filmmaking. You know, she mm-hmm. had not done that before, and she's now, um, you know, being hired to do that for other people as well as making her own stuff. So she found a real talent uh, that she had not discovered before uh, in, you know, that kind of communication, which is great for, like, the era of YouTube. Um, and again, well, and it, it, you know, like you said, I mean, people have a... They'll have a need to for somebody to film something for them, but also, I mean, to do what she's doing to tell her story, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and because there is, have you noticed how there's an explosion these days? Just like me doing this, but, but there's an explosion of people doing genealogical research. I mean, people all over the country, from every walk of life, from every ethnicity, etc. 
doing genealogy. And I, my, my theory is it's because they want to be in a, in a society that's both atomized and declining in many, many respects. People want to be connected to something, you know, and, and in this case, being connected to their family. Right. Uh, and connected right. To, to, to the past, really, you know, uh, to a different time. But it points like well, like we studied in seminary. I mean, they're being connected to something greater than than themselves, whatever that something else might be. Uh, right. So there's something right. kind of profound about this and, and kind of it's it's the old literary question you know, that we teach our students. It's uh, who am I? You know, one of those questions that that literature and religion both and, and philosophy try to pose. Who am I? What's my purpose? What's what's my connection to my neighbor? My, to my community, etc. You know, um, those are profound questions to, to try to answer. That's right. Well, for so, the Louisiana so I think he's doing anthology. that very well. <laughs> for the Louisiana Anthology Podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. We certainly want to thank Danielle for coming on the past couple of weeks. Uh, do check out her, her page on YouTube. It will be under her name of uh, Finding Lola and Danielle Romero. And again, if you are interested in genealogy, just plunge right in. There are all sorts of resources out there available. There's also various you know companies doing DNA testing, and there are a lot of uh, people out there that are willing to help too. So again, do and go out there and do your own genealogical research, and you may find it quite rewarding and interesting. But also, as any research may be unsettling, that's okay too. Huh. Uh, <laughs> and I would suggest uh, ask around in your family because. Um, like, I have family members that do genealogy, and I've never uh, done much of it myself. But if I got interested, I would know who to call. Um, yeah, it's a family story. What do they call? We, we call them just like storytellers and story keepers. You know, they're kind right. of the guardians of the family, the yeah. family narrative, basically. Totally. <clears throat> so, so again, thank you, uh, Danielle, for coming and joining us this week. We also want to thank all of you for listening in. And we hope that you'll join us for next week's edition of the Louisiana Anthology Podcast. Bye for now.